We've had many people who've laid down their lives in, in service in, in, in the armed forces, in World War I, World War II, Afghanistan, Iraq, keeping us safe. Many people who've lost their lives for the sake of us. But I want to talk about someone who died 2,000 years ago, who gave his life so that we could live, who gave his life so that we could be free, who gave his life so that we can have peace, who gave his life so that we can be taken out of bondage and, and the prisoners set free. His name is Jesus Christ. And, and this morning, what I'm doing is I'm, I'm kind of being like a, I know, like one of those people who went around recruiting for the army. I'm, I'm recruiting for his army this morning. I'm saying there is a fight going on. It's not against flesh and blood. It's in the heavenly realms, it's in the spiritual realms. And I'm encouraging you all this morning, come and join the fight. Come and enroll with Jesus this morning. Join his movement, join his army. It's not about Revive Church. It's about Jesus and his church on the earth. So that's all I'm going to say. I'm going to take about half an hour to say it, but that's what I'm saying. So if you could turn to Isaiah 61. You know, the first time Jesus' life was threatened when he was an adult was after he read this psalm out and said, this is me. The crowds wanted to kill him after he said this. He, he read this out for you. And he said this, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the afflicted or good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to captives and freedom to prisoners. This is his battle cry, to proclaim the favourable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant those who mourn in Zion, giving them a garland instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the mantle of praise instead of fainting. So they will be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may glorify. This is what Jesus wants to do for us. This is what Jesus wants to do for the world. Father, I just pray right now, your Holy Spirit, will you fall on us? Holy Spirit, we invite you here. Come, you be the teacher. Melt our hearts of what melts yours. Lord, let us hear your voice this morning. You know, in the book of Acts, the Spirit fell on people as Peter was preaching. Often, when it was just when the word was spoken, the Spirit fell on people. When Wesley was speaking, the Spirit fell on people. Expect God to move on you right now. The Holy Spirit is talking. Are you listening? The Holy Spirit wants to have a, commun- have a conversation with you, wants to impart to you. So, Holy Spirit, we just open ourselves up to you. Come and have your way. Transform our thinking. Transform our hearts. We want to follow you. Follow you and be led by you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So my first question from, from this passage, because I, I like just asking questions of the Bible. Who are the yokes of righteousness? Who are the mature Christians? Who are those who are overcomers? Who are those who, who will be lifted high when it comes to the day of glory when Jesus comes back? Who are those who are going to have that... That's, Stature in heaven, the oaks of righteousness. It are those 
who are afflicted. It is those who know they are spiritually poor. Jesus said this, I have come not to call those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners and need to repent. He then said, blessed are you who are poor. And he was meaning not, not just poor in money, but in need, whether that's spiritually or financially. Blessed are those who know they are in need. Theirs is the kingdom of God. See, oaks of righteousness, this is, this is people who are oaks of righteousness. I was blind, but then I met Jesus and now I see I was in bondage, but then I encountered Jesus and he set me free. I was a wretch of a sinner, but then I encountered Jesus and he set me free. I was lost, but now I'm found. All it was was I encountered Jesus. That is who the oaks of righteousness are. And then let's read verse four. What do these oaks of righteousness do? Then they will rebuild the ancient ruins they will raise up the former devastations. They will revive the ruined cities, the desolations of many generations. Who does God use to rebuild the city of God? Who does God use to bring heaven on earth, his kingdom, his rule? Who does he use? Sinners saved by grace. Those who know I never can make the mark. Those who know when I look at the righteousness of Jesus and I look at me, I'm just like, dirty rags in comparison. My best effort just looks like it needs to go in the washing machine and have some dazz on it to make it ultra brilliant white because Jesus is so amazing. I don't want to pre preach a downer on you this morning. I don't want to go, oh, you sinners, you miserable sinners and start calling out all these sins. But we need to know this. We are sinners saved by grace. Yeah. Sinners saved by grace. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was blind, but now I see. Was lost, but now I found. I think I got the wrong way around, but you understand it. See, God has anointed his chosen sinners who've been saved by grace to rebuild the kingdom of God in Hull. You all qualify. You all qualify. So Jesus walks into a town and the crowds have come out and they're very excited to see him. So much so that this short man called Zacchaeus climbs up a tree. Why? Because he's short, he can't see. And secondly, which is probably more relevant, the town hates him. He is the outcast of the town. He's a notorious sinner of a town. And so he's had to climb up the tree to get to see Jesus. Why is he hated? Well, because he's a tax collector. What's that mean? It means he's a traitor. He's joined the Romans. And he's bringing the oppression of the Romans on the Jewish people. And worse than that, he's not even just taking their oppression. He's actually defrauding the people as well, it says. And so he's stealing from the village. So of course they hate him. Of course they think he's the most miserable sinner there is. But what does Jesus do? Jesus walks right up to the tree where Zacchaeus is and says, Zacchaeus, I'm coming to lunch with you today. Isn't Jesus cheeky? 
I'm coming with lunch. He didn't, didn't ask permission, just said that's what he was doing. But the reaction from the crowd is, is not a good one. Because they're thinking, why has he chosen Zacchaeus? Surely I, I'm better than Zacchaeus. Surely I'm more deserving of, of, of Jesus' attention than Zacchaeus. But Jesus went to those who knew they were sinners. He went to the poor things. He went to the wretches. And what happens? Zacchaeus encounters Jesus. And he says two amazing things. I'm going to pay everyone I've defrauded four times as much back. I once was a thief, now I'm a giver. What was the difference? I encountered Jesus. And then he says this, I'm going to give half of my wealth to the poor. I once was greedy, but then I met Jesus, and now I'm giving my, my, my wealth to the poor. What's happening? God's kingdom is being built on earth through Zacchaeus. Jesus says, salvation has come to this house today. It's the only person he talked about in that village. What has Jesus done? He's gone into a town, found the worst sinner, let them encounter the love of Christ, and now that wretched sinner is the light of the world to that city, to that town. Jesus goes and finds this Samaritan lady at a well at midday. Why is she there at midday? Because she's an outcast. Because everyone hates her because she'd been stealing people's husbands and they don't like her, quite understandably. She encounters Jesus and what happens? She becomes the first evangelist to her town to bring the good news of Christ because what happened? She was an adulterer but then she encountered Jesus and now she's spreading the good news. He goes into another region and he, and he meets this naked man who's full of demons, who's terrorizing the region famous within the region. He sets him free from those demons and immediately sends him off to preach to the region, to be the evangelist to the region. What happened? I was bound in sin. I was hated. I met with Jesus. He set me free. And now I'm going to spread the good news of what he's done. Who does Jesus choose? He chooses sinners saved by grace. John Newton, who wrote Amazing Grace, says this. As a young man, I knew many things, but as an old man, I know two. One, I am a miserable sinner, but two, Jesus is an all-sufficient saviour. Why do I cry and worship? Because I know how much he saved me, how much he's loved me. I know, you probably don't, but I know the darkness which has been in my life and he has set me free and he has blessed me and so I cannot help but cry because like the woman who's washing Jesus' feet, she has been forgiven much. But those who think they are righteous don't understand who's sitting next to him. It's only those who have been saved by grace. See, Jesus uses the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. He uses the weak things of the world to shame that what is strong. I, amazing grace, how sweet the sound, that saved a wretch like me. So who is God going to use to bring the good news of gospel to Hull? You're all qualified. Some of you may be overqualified. So how does God do this? How's the way he does it? Turn to me to Acts 1. Oh, Jesus. 
So in Acts 1, Jesus has gone to the cross and he's just about to go back into heaven. But before that in John, I'm not asking you to, ch- to turn there. This is the way Jesus works. He says, if you, he said to his disciples, if you believe in me, I will go to my father and what will happen? He will send the Holy Spirit to do what? To anoint you. That calling that was on Jesus, he said, the calling that was on me, I'm going to go back to heaven. If you believe in me, that calling I'm going to put on your shoulders. To spread the good news, I'm going to put that on your shoulders. To be able to heal the sick, I'm going to put that on your shoulders. And look at this in Acts 1 verse 8. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And what is next? To be my witnesses. What's that mean? To spread the good news. It's Isaiah 61. Where to? Jerusalem, where you live. To the region, to the ends of the earth. Wherever there are people, I put my Holy Spirit on you and send you to give the message of the good news. And you're probably sitting there thinking, but I never get to preach. It's not my fault you've never asked me to to stand behind that podium and preach. That's not what Acts 1 verse 8 is about. It's not what Isaiah 61 is about. Isaiah 61 doesn't actually mean preach like this. It means a messenger from one town comes to another to say, you need to know what's going on in that town. It's 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 glad tidings. It's like... It's like when you come home from work, you never guess what happened at work today. It's a message. It's not, Jesus never said, I anoint you to be able to stand behind podiums and preach. That is actually, if you look in, in, in the New Testament, that's actually a select few who get a harsher judgment, so don't volunteer for it unless God has called you to it. But it is everybody's responsibility to share their story, to witness about Christ, to say, do you know what? I've met Jesus and he's changed my life. And it's not for in the walls of the church because they think, well, give me your responsibility within your Sunday morning or some class to run and then I'll preach the good news. No, it said to all the earth, what happened at Pentecost? The Holy Spirit came on and the disciples and the followers, believers, went out. They left the prayer meeting. They left the church meeting because the Holy Spirit came on them. They didn't, they didn't come in, they went out to anyone who would listen to them. What do you think that, that man who was naked and demon-possessed, what do you think he was preaching? He probably didn't know the Bible. He definitely didn't know about the cross and salvation. This, is, I believe, is what he was preaching. I was in bondage. I was, I was a slave to sin and then I encountered a man called Jesus and he set me free. And you need to meet this man called Jesus. And that is the same for all of you. Do you have a testimony? Yes, I was blind but now I see. I used to be an alcoholic and now I'm not because Christ's blood saved me. That is what you need to talk about. You don't need to know, you don't need to go to Bible school. You don't need to know your theology. You just need to say, this is what Jesus has done in my life. That's what the Holy Spirit is for, to put his power on you so that you can go into your homes, into your offices, into your streets and say, you never guess what happened on Sunday. You never guess what happened to me two years ago. I was in a wheelchair and now I stand up. I used to be so miserable, but now I'm happy. I used to be addicted to porn and now I'm not. That is your message. And it's everyone's message. 
Let me put it this way. As time is fast running out. Let me put it this way. John 1 says this. But Jesus is the light of the world. And in verse 4, he, John says what that means. It says that life itself lives in Jesus. Eternal life lives in Jesus. Jesus then, in, later to this, on the mount of... Um, some mountain somewhere, says to the crowd, you are the light of the world. You are the light of the world. What does that mean? That means life itself is in you. What did Jesus preach? Not really about heaven. He talked about, I will give you eternal life. We get focused on going to heaven when you die. No, Jesus said eternal life. Eternal life is within you. You are the light of the world because eternal life is in you. And then I'll, I'll, I'll just read it. Paul points this out in Ephesians 1 verse 19. I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us, for all who believe him. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honour at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. You have Christ living in you. You have the power that raises the dead within you. So many Christians only use the power of the Holy Spirit to get a B rather than a C in a test. Or they're feeling a bit lonely, so they go, oh, I need a bit of comfort from the Holy Spirit. Don't you realise you have the life-giving power of God within you. God, who created this whole universe, lives within you, and his power is to be released for your life. To all who believe. What's the qualification? A sinner saved by grace. What's the power you have? The greatest power that there is in the universe, the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. So, how do you release the Holy Spirit? Well, A, you need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. But what does it look like? I'll quickly go through this. When Jesus was on this earth and was doing miracles and healings, there's this phrase that's often used just before he does a healing or a miracle. Jesus was filled with compassion. Jesus was filled with compassion or moved by compassion. See, the Holy Spirit doesn't just talk to you in words. If you're, if you're struggling to understand how the Holy Spirit talks to you, you're waiting for this voice to pop in your head, you're missing it. God sometimes does speak like that. But he normally speaks in emotions, in pictures, in dreams. He speaks entirely. He, he speaks a lot wider than just words. How did the disciples or the writers of the Gospels know that Jesus was moved with compassion? How did they know that? Either one because he taught them that this was really important, you better put it in, in your accounts when I leave, or it was really important in terms of ministry, or this is what I believe, he was so moved with compassion that people would see it. But the love of God was so much full on his life that you would see it. Now you can take whichever you like, but I know this, the kingdom of God is all about love. If you don't do things in love, it is pointless. What did Jesus move? He moved through love. So I, I've noticed when I've seen people getting saved on the streets or healed on the streets or in meetings, I know when there's going to be something big happening because suddenly I get filled with what I could call compassion or feel love. It's, it's, you just have to tune in and understand it for someone. And I know ah, when I go and pray for that person, heaven's going to be earth. Why? Because I'm moved with compassion. 
Compassion is like a seed to a miracle. Holy Spirit passion, not guilt, but Holy Spirit passion is a seed to a miracle. So here's Stu, and I'm over here, and I notice on a Sunday morning that Stu is looking a bit miserable. And I'm thinking, oh, poor Stu, he hasn't got any friends. (laughs) And he's a bit poor as well. Oh, someone really should go and help Stu. I I feel this kind of like compassion towards Stu. I know what, Father, will you send someone to help Stu? Give him a friend, that'd be really nice. And this is how I see it. Now you can disagree with me, but I see the Father turning around in heaven going, who do you think I put the compassion on? Who do you think I just called to go and talk to Stuart? The one with compassion. Because miracles happen through compassion. So people come to me and they say, the church really needs to pay. Uh, This person is really having a hard time. I think we should really pay their mortgage for two months. I go, yes, the church should pay. They go, well, how are you going to do it? I'm not doing anything. The church should pay. Works of service is for the the church. It's not for the leaders. Leaders have to do works of service just as much, but the work is done by the body. Now, we do give lots of money to people in hardship. That's, that's not what I'm talking about. We won't do that. But what I'm saying is this. If you are driven with compassion about something, maybe it's you who have the seed of a miracle, the seed of God's kingdom coming into to earth, that you are going to start building God's kingdom on earth. So, so someone might come up to me and say, oh, I, there's all these homeless people on Newland Ave. What do we do about all these homeless people on Newland Ave? The church should do something. And I'm thinking, yes, the church should do something. What are you going to do? You are the church. Because it's not my passion. I'm, I'm, I, honestly, I'm, I'm, I'm working night and day for the passions that God has put inside of me and the things I need to do. Don't go and put your passion onto me and disown it. Instead, take a responsibility for the passion. Because do you know what happens to people who get a gift from God, a talent from God, and then just bury it? That's hard, isn't it? That's, I believe, what compassion is like. God says, here you go. I'm giving you compassion for something. If you move in it and you run with it, it will multiply, it will grow, and you will see the kingdom of God on earth, and you will see God's kingdom come to earth. So, I could tell you many stories of how God's compassion has changed people's lives and built God's kingdom on earth. But I'm going to tell you one story. I, I was in a meeting and I, and I came back and as I was just about to go into my house, I just sensed that I felt I should go and pray for my neighbour who's in a wheelchair. And I wrestled for it a bit. I actually went through the front door and went, no, I can't do this. I'm feeling it. And when you start tuning in to the compassion of God, you can, you can hide it, you can bury it, but when you start tuning it, it just grows and grows. And so I went, okay, well, I better go over. So I went over. And what did I do? I didn't go and preach the gospel, as most people say it. I didn't go and say, you are sinners. I didn't say, you need, you need God because he's going to save you by grace. I just gave my testimony. I said, do you know what? I've seen quite a few people healed recently. And we're seeing lots of people healed in the church. And I just come and I just want to, to pray and see you healed. Now, I'll tell you this story because the guy turned me down. His family wanted me to pray for him. His family were convinced, but he wasn't. I'm not saying you need success. I'm saying you need to follow the voice of God. I'm saying you need to follow the the compassion. 
I'm so glad I went, even though I got rejected. I mean, it didn't really hurt much. I mean, he just said no. And, and he had his wife scolding him for not letting me pray for him. But <laughs> what I'm saying is this, who is open to have the compassion of God to go on your heart so that you can rebuild this city of Hove, so you can rebuild this region, so that you can rebuild God's kingdom on earth. Do not say you're unqualified. Do not say you do not have the power or the ability. Holy Spirit is all you need. Don't say you haven't a story. If you haven't got a story, you're not saved. Let that was sinking. For the 2 Chronicles 16 verse 9 says this, For the eyes of the Lord move to and fro throughout the earth, that he may strongly support those whose heart is completely his. What's that mean? For those who have surrendered their lives to God, who say, Holy Spirit, lead me wherever you want. I'm going to walk step in step with the Spirit. That's what your heart, submit to God, looks like. He will put his strength, he will put his power on. God is desperately searching for people he can put his anointing on. God is desperately searching for people he can put his compassion on and his power on to transform this world, to transform lives. So in your office, where do you think God's eyes are looking? He's searching for someone to reach your office. He's searching for someone to reach your, reach your street. He's searching for someone to reach your family. He's searching for someone to reach the prostitutes in Hull. He's searching for someone to reach the drug addicts. He's searching for someone to reach the bank managers. He can't wait to give it away. Are we open for his compassion? Are we open to be used? Are we open to see the blind see, the deaf hear, the, the prisoners taken out of their, jail, their jails? I'm not talking literal prisoners.